Hey, Herman. What's up, Jake? Just had an interesting thought. What's that? Well, remember in high school when we had guidance counselors who helped us get ready for college? Mm-hmm. And then, remember in college we had advisors and professors who kind of did the same thing, but instead they prepared us for like the real working world after college. Yeah. Well, don't you wish we kind of had something like that after we finished school? Yes. Hey, Jake, what's up? Hey, Herman, how's it going? Doing pretty well. You ready to start voting soon? Maybe. <laughs> uh, welcome to the Life After College podcast. And uh, we, uh, as you might have just heard, we're going to cover uh, voting and uh, local government and basically some uh, pol- political talk here, but not the pol- kind of political talk you might be expecting. Yeah, this is no info wars or anything crazy no. like that. We're just going to talk about how things work so that you can make your own decision and hopefully we can figure out a way to to teach you uh, or inform you and help you make the best choices. Exactly. So I want to make the disclaimer right now, just right off the bat, I know very, very little about local government or state government or federal government, but that's why we actually have someone Maybe not in studio today, but uh, with us he's on this episode. Joining us from the digital realm. And uh, he's not a robot, though, but we have a very special guest. Yep. Uh, we have Mr. Johannes Buchanan. Hey, guys. How's it going? Hey, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. So uh, Johannes is a good friend of uh, of ours and uh, has known my wife for quite a long time. They went to school together. and. Uh, so we're let's uh Johannes, can you explain to us uh why what makes you uh 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 a good person to explain some of this to us? <laughs> yeah, tell us some of your story yeah. and how you ended up where you are. So sure. Uh so I worked for the Massachusetts State Senate for a little over nine years now. I started as an intern right after college and then got hired by a state senator from Western Massachusetts as like an aide and have, I guess, slowly worked my way up the ladder. Um, so now I'm chief of staff to state senator Don Hummison, who is from Westfield, which is way out past Springfield in Western Mass. Um, so I've had a pretty good look at state level and local level elections and the government set up from work for close to a decade now, I guess. Very cool. All right. So, I I would I would say you uh, you have the credentials to to talk to us. Sure. <laughs> uh, what what would you say uh, helped you make the decision to to keep going along in politics and government, and what what started you there? Like, what's the why behind what you're doing? Um, I've always, even growing up, I sort of always liked politics. I thought it was fun, um, and then. When I graduated, it was sort of a odd, interesting time in local politics. Uh, Ted Kennedy was um, diagnosed with brain cancer, and they were trying to pass Obamacare, which on a federal level was a big deal, but on a state level, it was a lot of concern about how they would replace a senator who was dying midterm. And they actually changed a law um, in the middle of the session to say that the governor could appoint it rather than have. Uh, the people vote in a special election. And that was really interesting to watch and sort of see that debate. And that sort of kept my interest and got me going further along. Um, And so 
because of it, it was it was very interesting to see how important these things are on a local matter because a lot of people were really upset that they weren't going to be able to vote and that the governor was just going to be able to appoint someone that he chose for three years, basically. Um, and that sort of showed the impact that what seems like a really distant issue, which is Obama, well, at the time, Obamacare, um, can have on like a local level. Yeah. Because right, I, I guess uh, to me, and I'm assuming to many other people, uh, you say Obamacare, and we think you know on a on a nationwide level, uh, its impact there, but you don't really think about it within your your state or district or town, even mm-hmm. uh, right, and, and, and how like, that can af- affect it. And they were like, it wasn't even a law yet; they were just trying to pass it. But it was a big deal on a local level because there was a chance and eventually it did happen that Senator Kennedy died before they could pass that law. And uh-huh. there was a lot of concern, like if this on a national level, if this happens, like it's going to be up to the people of Massachusetts to sort of decide what happens to this national law. And that's, that's kind of a weird, it doesn't happen very often in that way, but it's kind of a weird thought to have to realize that like theoretically something as huge as like a national healthcare program could depend on like the people who turn out to vote in a primary in a special election, which generally have very, very low turnouts. Yeah. That's a national question coming down to like a couple thousand people in one state. That's nuts. Yeah. And I I guess I should ask, so going from national to local, are some of the things that, some of the things that we're going to talk about, um, do they apply is it kind of case by case? They some things apply only to your state, like our state is Massachusetts, uh, versus other states. Or does all the local government stuff sort of work the same all over the country? Uh, most of it works relatively the same all over the country. Um, so the one difference that I would say is like a lot of the southern and then western states have something called county government, which sort of oversees uh, the land in between the towns. In Massachusetts and in New England um, and sort of the eastern seaboard, that that doesn't exist. Like there's no land between towns that needs some sort of third form of government. So like here, everyone's part of a town or a city. There's no you don't like just live in Gloucester County or something like that. You live in Gloucester or you live in Newburyport. Like you can't just be in between and sort of a third level of government. But even then the principles are the same. There's still like a county council and then a county commissioner and in a town that's like the city council and the mayor. So like Mm -hmm. it still works the same way. It's just a different level. Okay. Yeah. I, I I have talked to other people from different States and they're talking about their counties. Like we have counties, but they're not nearly as talked about as much here as you are talking about them so yeah it's sort of just like a fun fact like yeah. oh i live in essex county yeah. <laughs> yeah you live in essex county but essex county doesn't do much like you guys have <laughs> right. the essex county has a sheriff and he takes care of people who get sent to prison but that's about it yeah. <laughs> he has no other real power all right good to know well maybe we can use that as a segue to kind of um i know myself i don't know very much about the hierarchy or sort of Starting from the average citizen up to its highest leader in in the or you know decision maker, maybe you can break down some of how local government works for us. Sure, that, that is a broad question, but <laughs> yeah, as best you can. Yeah, 
Yeah, so in Massachusetts and in most towns in the country, there is always a town council or a board of selectmen. Um, and they're elected from the town. They only serve the town. And I think the minimum you can have, at least in Massachusetts, is three. Most cities have at least five. And I think the biggest city, which is Cambridge, has something like 24. So, But oh, there's wow. always... There's always a board and they are the ones who like vote on the the budget and they'll set the appropriations for like the police department and they have to have at least four annual meetings to like give the town the information of what's going on. Um, mm -hmm. And they they sort of control all the money and all the bigger decisions. And in a small town, they might not even have a mayor. So like the board of the selectmen then serves as the mayor as well. So they're the like chief executive for the town. Um, so, so if you... So arguably they're the most direct important member in the local government. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Okay. So I did not know that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So okay. like, and their elections, they're, they're usually staggered. So they're not all up for reelection at once. So like you'll have at least one or two a year who are up for reelection. Okay. Wow. Okay. And, uh, so this might be a silly question, but, Right now, when you're talking about this, in my head, all I'm thinking about is Parks and Rec, and <laughs> and the the characters in there, and like you know, they have the council meetings and they have uh, like public meetings and all that stuff. And uh, it, is that a bad uh, way to think about it, or is it somewhat accurate? No, it's actually Parks and Rec, like the sort of system they show you, which is like board meetings where like the public can come in and talk and talk about whatever they want is actually really accurate of how it actually works. So awesome. as funny as it is in Parks and Rec, it's actually pretty close to the truth. Like that is <laughs> what happens, you know, okay. if you, okay. the board of selectmen has like subcommittees a lot of times, so they don't all have to work on the same issues and there'll be one for the parks and there'll be one for like public safety um, there'll be one for like the sewer commission and the water commission and in bigger towns, like say the city of Boston, those guys may be elected as well. It depends on what your okay. town charter says, which is like your local constitution if you want. And can that be altered, uh, throughout over the years or. Mm -hmm. So uh, like, you guys, uh, anyone, you guys could petition your town to change the charter if you wanted to. And then it would have to go on the ballot and the, the residents of the town would vote whether they agree with you or not. Uh-huh. Cool. Interesting. All right. So after the selectmen, what do we got next? So in bigger towns and cities, you guys have a mayor and they're like, you know, your local president, if you want to mm -hmm. be simple about it. And they serve as like the chief executive. So they'd like oversee all the departments and they get elected as well. Um, and then above your sort of city and town, uh, if you have a county, which in some Western states you will, they'll have like a county commissioner and a county commission. And those commissioners in that case um, can either be elected or they can be a uh, representative appointed from each town. So like if your county covers like 10 different towns, each town would have one member on the county board then and mm -hmm. they would make the county decisions. And a lot of places like out in Nevada, for example, the county commissioners actually run like the water districts and the sewer districts because 
those are big issues and they need to be done on a bigger level because some towns like won't have access to fresh water and so they have to get it piped in and things like that and that's when county government becomes really important okay and then if we're going if we're going to keep going up the chain above the county government is the state government and most state actually all state governments except for nebraska have uh, sort of a house and a state senate so they're like much like the federal government just on a state level and they'll be elected the same way um and then they'll have a governor which every state does uh, nebraska has an odd system where they have a unicameral system so they just have one legislative body rather than like a house and a senate they just have the one assembly so okay so then because there's so many different position titles that I don't that I get confused about on a state level. Because sure. I know there's like there's state representatives, then there's like local congressmen, but then there's also federal congressmen, right? And then so the, the so state maybe rep- you can break that down. <laughs> yeah. So sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. So the state reps are like your federal reps, but they just go to the state capital instead. They don't go to Washington, and they have smaller districts. Um. Here in Massachusetts, there are around 60,000 per district for the reps, and there's 160 of them, and they cover the whole state, and they get sent to Boston. Um, And they do the same thing your federal reps would do. They just do it on a state level. So they discuss state laws, um, and they'll debate those and then send them over to the Senate. And in Massachusetts, there's 40 state senators, and their districts are about 175,000 people. Um, and they will do the same thing. And collectively, they set the state budget, and then the governor is the one who has to carry that out. And, and then, it, sorry, uh, is the are the terms the same as federal representatives or senators? So they vary from state to state. In Massachusetts, um, the whole state legislature, which is the Senate and the House, they only have two-year terms, so they're up every two years. Um, meanwhile, the governor has a four-year term. Cool. Okay. Okay. So, so every four years, those terms will coincide. Yeah. The yeah. same so like election. This year, everyone's up for re-election. Okay. The whole, the whole system, if you want to think of it like that, is up for re-election. Gotcha. Wow. So this election coming up is very important. <laughs> yeah, on a state level, it's huge. It's a real big deal. Yeah, okay. and we we've been hearing a lot about that. Kind of the reason why we're we're doing this podcast, this episode. So. Yeah, yeah, and we recognize that there's a ton of people who've lived outside of you know uh, their their states and all this other stuff, and they're they've been adults for a long time, like myself, and mm-hmm. haven't figured any of this out or taken the time to. Yeah. So, and it's very very important. <laughs> yeah, just on just for just. Under general understanding, and then you know, for uh, uh, if you want to get involved or make some sort of impact, which we'll get into, yeah. Um, so we're at governor now, right? Yeah, okay. So the governor, um, in the state constitution shares power a little bit with like the attorney general who is responsible for law, sort of law enforcement, um, and suing people, if you want to think of it. That way, and then we have a treasurer who handles all the money and makes sure that uh, we don't go broke. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have an auditor who 
theoretically checks and makes sure everybody else is doing their job and not ripping the people off. And they all have four-year terms, and they, like the governor, are all up for election uh, on November 6th. So are they all – so the governor isn't the head honcho. He works alongside those other people? Yeah, they're sort of all parallel. They're all constitutional uh-huh. positions, which means they're enshrined in our state constitution. So the governor doesn't really have control over them, nor does the legislature. They're constant. So like if you wanted to remove one of them or change their powers, you would have to amend the state constitution. You can't just <laughs> be like, we're changing this law and you no longer have a job. Mm-hmm. Okay. So those those positions you mentioned are all the highest in the state for those specific things. Right. Right. Okay. okay. And can one overrule the other or is they're just equal in their own? They're equal in their sort of own limited sphere. So like the treasurer is sort of the chief like finance officer, right? So she makes sure our debt's managed. She goes out to the bond market if we need like extra money to build schools or something like that. She does all of the finance and like keeps track of all the records. The attorney general's like our head legal enforcement and like the attorney for the state. So she like handles our lawsuits and like files all of the criminal charges for um, any anyone who gets brought up on charges basically. So um, I'm trying to think recently. She like she sued a couple oil companies for spilling oil in the harbor here. So she uh-huh. does those sorts of things, like not just murder cases, but also like enforcement. Like they sued a couple of drug companies over the opioid crisis. Like those are sort of things that fall within her uh, realm. And then the auditor goes around and sort of checks everyone's books to make sure they're doing their job and they're not wasting money and she can do it for any agency so she can check uh the transportations to books or she can check you know your local town's books she can check anyone basically to make sure they're doing their job and that we have a record of where all the money's being spent cool Uh, yeah very cool uh yeah no go so i guess a, a question to cover basically all the positions that we've just gone through. Mm-hmm. Um, are these all uh, paid positions, salary positions, or are some of them volunteer? So they're all salaried positions. Um, the salaries are pretty small on the local level. Like most selectmen have another real day job and they just do this out of civic duty. Like in Parks and to. Rec. Like in Parks and Rec. And then <laughs> – you know, the higher up you get, the more of a full-time job it is, and it comes with a salary. Yep. Um, and so the salaries for state legislatures, um, the governors, the auditors, the attorney generals, those are all actually enshrined in the Constitution and then in general law. So you can look them up. And in mm-hmm. Massachusetts, actually, the all public employees' salaries are public, and there's a website that you can go and see how much they're getting paid. Okay. Do you know that site off the top of your head? Uh, it is on the treasurer's website, and I think it's okay. called Open Checkbook Massachusetts. Okay, so we can just do a Google search and find that probably. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Very nice. All right. So, all right. Uh, so we're at governor. Right, governor. And then above them, who is there? <laughs> yeah. Where do what are the sorry? What are the senators falling? I'll let you get into that if that's down the line. But yeah. <laughs> uh, so like. The, the state senators and the state representatives, 
they pass the state laws and then they those go to the governor to either be signed by the governor or you know he can veto them sort of like how the president can veto the federal laws mm-hmm. and then yeah. above the governor is the federal government um so we have our federal representatives and then our two federal senators um, and they go to Washington and then they obviously deal with the president. Um, and this is like, that's the level of government that most people think of when they think about the government. Like when you say Senator, they're all like, Oh, Elizabeth Warren. You're like, well, sort of, but like on a state level. Okay. So you're working for, uh, one of the state senators. Yes. So I worked for Don Homerson, who's a state senator. Um, and he's one of 40. Okay. Here in Massachusetts. All right. Um, and, but he's like his, uh, office, his headquarters is at the state house. Yeah. So in Boston. They, he has an office in the state house. Um, all the senators do and all the reps do as well. And then a lot of them, including my boss have a office back in their district to make it easier for the constituents to find them and sort of talk to them. Okay. So we have a we have a district office in Westfield, Massachusetts, uh, right downtown, actually. So, and then it's uh, sort of centrally located. So, if people don't want to drive the two hours it takes to get to Boston, they can come see him there. Right. Cool. Yeah, I, I know it is for. I guess it depends on the the sh- the shape and size of your state. Like sometimes wherever the capital might be, it's a pain in the butt to go across the entire state. Massachusetts, Massachusetts still being pretty, a pretty small state, uh, you know, area wise, but still it's, you know, it's two, two hours one way. Yeah. I mean, if you live out in the Berkshires, it takes at least two hours. And if the weather's bad, it's going to take you three. I can't imagine what it's like to live in Montana and have to drive, you know, (laughs) four or five hours to get to the Capitol. Right. Right. Um, cool. All right. So it looks like, it sounds like we got to, do we want to get into federal government or, I mean, I think, I think we'll cover that in a future episode. Yeah. Cause we'll, I, I really want to focus years? on yeah on this sort of this election cycle yeah um, so that people can go out and not get lost in other topics yeah that, I guess, I guess keep the keep the information more concise and focused so yeah for this could, episode and then yeah. we'll have you back again for the next one yeah maybe we can have you in the studio and we'll have a little like panel or something yeah. <laughs> oh that'd be fun we can do yeah. a big review for twenty twenty yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you'll you'll be working in DC at that time anyway, so you know. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> um, all right. So this upcoming election, it's in three days as of this recording. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe I shouldn't have said when we're recording this. It's no, kind of last hopefully <laughs> we have this recording up in a few hours. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Uh, Big election, important election, especially in Massachusetts. But uh, I think you mentioned every state is is having an election in this cycle at this time of year, right? Yeah. So every state's having an election November 6th um, because it's the midterm. So every state has an election. Some of them are reelecting governors. Um, some of them aren't, but most of them are reelecting at least one senator and all of the House of Reps on both the federal and the state level. So those guys are all up for reelection. In Massachusetts, 
pretty much the entire state government's up for re-election. So from the governor on down, everyone's up on the ballot this Tuesday, which is okay. a pretty big deal, actually. Yeah, it, you it, can essentially, this election could shift the entire state one way or another, right? Yeah, yeah. You could have completely new people if everyone chose to. I don't know. I don't think that's going to happen. But, yeah, you know, yeah. if we all felt like it, we could just have an entirely new government come <laughs> Wednesday. <laughs> Which is which is in essence pretty cool, I think. Um, in practice, obviously that's scary, but the uh, the idea that we're in a country that you can change your government if you, a citizen really wants to, or the people, I think that's pretty empowering. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's really cool and really empowering, like you said. Like we have the choice, and we can totally exercise that choice if we want to. We just got to actually go to the ballot box, though, which is. Sometimes not always what happens. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, of course, everyone works, but still, you can. Uh, I think. I. Th- I think for the most part, the the state and and uh, local towns make it easy or make it. I mean, there's early voting and the Absolutely. polls are open for a good amount of time for for everyone to have an opportunity to do this. Yeah. I mean, early voting has really made it a lot easier for people to go vote. They have two weeks now, basically, if they can make it to town hall to vote, which I think helps a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So, uh, all right. So what, so we know the, all the positions, uh, up for reelection or election, uh, what, and there, I think you said, uh, there's, uh, when we were talking before, there's three questions on the ballot for Massachusetts. Yeah, so there's there's three questions on the ballot. Um, Massachusetts allows uh, voters to put any sort of uh, legislative question they want on the ballot if they can get enough signatures. Mm-hmm. Um, and if the court says that it's constitutional, you can put pretty much anything on the ballot. So this session, uh, we have three questions. Question one has to do with nurse staffing ratios, um, and it would basically uh, set into law how many nurses uh, hospitals have to have on the floor per unit uh, based on the type of unit. And this is actually a fairly controversial question. I've heard a lot of about a lot of back and forth about it, but if you want to delve into it a little bit, that'd be great. Sure. So um, it sets, uh, I think it creates five different categories basically um, for how many nurses you need to have per patient on a ward um, with sort of like intermediate care, um, post-operation, intensive care, and then maternity wards. Um, And it would require in law how many nurses have to be per patient, which is sort of a really aggressive step because most hospitals right now have sort of a metric that they use to sort of pick how many nurses they think they need per person depending on what's going on and what that person's had done recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, California is the only state that has this law right now. Um, and the studies on it say that it's sort of a mixed bag as far as results. Um, here in Massachusetts, the nursing community and the hospital seem to be pretty divided over it. Uh, the nurses themselves uh, in polls have been close to a 50-50 split um, wow. over whether, whether or not they think this is a good idea. And the latest numbers say that it's actually becoming less popular the more people are talking about it. So we'll see what happens, but it's going to be a close question. 
I find this really, really, this is probably the most interesting question I've come across as a voter. Um, and in all, and probably the 10 years I've been voting and uh, you see for people who live outside of the state, you see this, like there's TV ads for both sides and they're both just as heart wrenching or like heartwarming. (laughs) And you like, it is so difficult to decide. Mm -hmm. And, I I was at Chipotle yesterday and I saw a group of of uh women in their nursing uniform they're in like nursing school at one of the local colleges mm-hmm. um and they were in uniform and I literally I asked them like what are you guys thinking about this because um uh, they're the ones who are going to be directly affected and I find that to be very interesting this cuz it's it doesn't ne- directly affect people who are currently healthy citizens, Mm -hmm. but it could directly affect everyone because no one knows when they'll be sick next or what's going to happen. So with all that said, what do you think the best way for people to inform themselves is? Like with a question that's so 50-50 and if you don't know a nurse or even even the nurses are split, like how would, I don't know, someone in government how do you recommend someone make the best decision or make get, the most informed decision? Yeah, get some unbiased information yeah. regarding this. So, I mean, on questions like this where it's so complicated in practice, it's a little difficult. Um, so the state sends to every household a book in Massachusetts that has all of the questions written out. So you can read the actual text. And then it has summaries written by both the people who are for it and against it. Um, and that's sort of like a good quick primer that's definitely accurate. And then after that, I think, you know, there's websites both for and against that you can certainly read. Um, here on this question specifically, Massachusetts has something that's called the Health Policy Commission. And they do like big scientific reviews of all the questions and go through like all the financials of like how much it'll cost and like if the studies carry out like can prove what this question says it's going to do will actually happen so for like healthcare questions they're really helpful Mm -hmm. um to sort of read because they'll do all the research for people and give it in an unbiased way but on sort of like more social questions i think the best people can do is actually like watch the news and then actually do some own researching on their own sort of like google uh, as sad as that sounds, there's no, uh, like there's no independent agency that sort of like co- collects all that information on questions and puts it out there for people. Right. Yeah. Uh, no, that's, that's a, I think that's a great place to start. Um, uh, I guess, I, I mean, from what it sounds like, it's, uh, trying to, you know, it's, you're deciding between risking, uh, spending way too much money on too many nurses on the floor at once versus not enough nurses uh, taking care of uh, sick and dying patients. Yeah. Uh, so it's a, I guess it's a balancing act between that and uh, the government is trying to find the middle ground. But yeah, I mean it's it's really up to the voters. I think one of the things that they haven't really talked about, at least. Um, publicly is the fact that I don't know that we have enough nurses to actually carry out this law right now. Okay. 
the Health Policy Commission came out with a study last week that was like, even if we hire all of the nurses who are in school, uh, like tomorrow, and then get everyone who's retired in like the last five years and bring them back to work, we won't have a nurse enough trained nurses to carry out the ratios that this ballot question is calling for. Wow, that's scary. It would be several years before this actually, like anyone actually met the requirements in this law. And that's not to say that right now we don't have enough nurses. It's just that the the levels that are being asked in this question are actually pretty high. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, there's definitely a lot going into it. All right. Yeah. Do you want to want to move on to question two? Yeah, let's uh, jump jump into that. Question two. So question two um, creates a citizens commission to consider uh, potential amendments to the U.S. Constitution. Um, specifically to see if we could amend the U.S. Constitution to say that corporations uh, are not people and therefore shouldn't be allowed to spend money in elections. Um, this is the, the point of this question is to get at the Citizens United decision that the Supreme Court made and sort of limit corporate and dark money spending in elections. So does that mean individual donors can, can still give? So under under federal law and state law, individual donors are limited by how much money they can give to any one candidate. Um, the point of that was to prevent someone who's super wealthy from sort of like taking over an election by just spending a ton of money. Um, um, the problem was that there was an act called the McCain-Feingold Act, which um, now past Senator McCain had sponsored, which limited how much money – uh, corporations could give to individual candidates and to sort of activist groups trying to influence elections. And the Supreme Court struck that provision down, which has basically led to like the creation of the super PACs and the spending of like unlimited amounts of money to sort of influence elections, but not give it directly to a candidate. And I think the most famous examples of that are probably like the Koch brothers and George Soros, like, you know, Billionaires who have plenty of money and are politically active sort of spending money to influence elections without actually giving it directly to a single person. So they'll like spend money to be like vote for Jake for president without actually talking to Jake about it. (laughs) And that's essentially like uh, so if I could simplify it, it's instead of the just we'll use the coca-cola brothers or soros as an example um (laughs) instead of them giving money directly to the republican or democratic candidate they give money to this fake or this temporary company basically or this this made up not made up uh, this created company called you know usa freedom pack and then but they'll give them like hundreds of millions of dollars to advertise on behalf of that candidate right Okay, that's and it's (laughs) it's 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 a really complicated way around sort of like the rules about spending money in elections, and it lets people with a lot of money sort of amplify their voice like considerably, Mm -hmm. and it's sort of led to partially led to like the hyper partisan like ads in politics you've seen recently, and it has to do with people being able to spend unlimited amounts of money if they're a corporation, basically. Um, so how does can so going back to question number two, how would this change that again? So question number two is trying to follow the constitutional process to allow people to change the amendment. And part of that process is that each state has to call for a constitutional 
um, convention to amend it. And part of that process requires each state to approve a question that they would be willing to support. So this commission, in a really complicated way, is basically supposed to formulate the question that Massachusetts could approve to then call for a constitutional convention. Okay, so essentially, if you want to change the, the if you want the, to change that the Citizens United ruling, the first step would be voting yes on this question and forming that commission. And if you don't want to do that, then you would want to vote no here. Okay, that's awesome. Great. I feel I feel like a lot of these questions and elections and uh, you know when they're such as question two is basically trying to patch up loopholes that people have found and worked around. Yeah. 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 yeah, Exactly. I mean, question two deals with like a really complicated issue that doesn't have a quick fix. Like calling for a constitutional convention is incredibly lengthy process because you need, I think it's like 32 of the States to agree to it first. So like each state has to sign off. So it gets very long very quickly. Is this question on all 50 states' ballots? Or no, just this is just on Massachusetts. It's state ballot. Okay. All right. Interesting. Yeah, and I guess uh, you just uh, briefly touched on it. Before we go move on to question three, even just the first two questions, um, no matter what the outcome is, it's not going to be an overnight fix. Uh, no. once it's passed or not or whatever uh it, it's it's just the beginning steps like okay we're here now let's move forward or all right it's you know this is it that's it's said and done there it's not it's not an overnight uh it's not nothing's going to change immediately i guess no no it's like the relationship defining talk but for government <laughs> <laughs> You're not getting married, but you know you're moving towards something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Something's changing. Just not entirely sure what. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Uh, question three. So question three has to do with a law that the legislature approved and then the governor signed in 2016. And this law basically said that you can't um, discriminate on gender identity for access to public bathrooms. Um a lot of people have referred to this as the transgender law. It doesn't really necessarily deal with that per se. It just says like you, if someone goes into a bathroom, you can't ask them their gender identity. Um, so this ballot question would overturn that. Okay. It would reverse it. So it's kind of weirdly phrased, but if you want the law to stay, you should vote yes. And if you want to get rid of it, you should vote no. Okay. So, uh, can you rephrase the law again? Because sure. even I was confused on that. <laughs> so it's it's weirdly written, and it's 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 confusing because of it. I think so. Basically, yeah. um, Massachusetts passed a law that said you can't discriminate on the grounds of gender from allowing access to the bathroom. So, like, if someone comes in and you're not sure if they're gender, and they use the men's room or the women's room, you can't go after them. And be like, no, I'm sorry. I don't trust what you say you are, so I'm not going to let you use the bathroom. Okay, gotcha. Okay, so, uh, so I could see, I guess I can see both arguments on this. Uh, if I'm understanding it correctly, one, you know, you want to be able to respect people that have made uh, uh, 
a gender transition or are transgender. Right. Um, and, but at the same time, you're like, is there, there's risk involved in, you know, letting, uh, uh, the opposite gender into a specific gender bathroom. Right. Right. I think, I mean, that's, that's the, the argument that people have been saying to say this law is a bad idea is that this opens up bathrooms to be, uh, a place that predators could potentially more easily access and then get after people. If that yeah. makes sense. And so if you want to keep that law, you vote yes. Yes, and if and you want to overturn that law, you vote no. Okay. All right. Awesome. Is there any any other comments or things you want to say about the the three questions before we move on? I think the three questions are actually like one of the more important ways that people can vote on what their government's doing, um, especially the last one because it's a direct sort of approval or disapproval of what your state government already did. Um, ballot questions are like difficult to get on the ballot, but they're usually pretty important. Like in Massachusetts two years ago, uh, marijuana was on the ballot. And that was something that the state government said it definitely didn't want to do, but people voted for it overwhelmingly. So they lost it anyway. <laughs> so, I mean, issues like that end up on the ballot and they're really important for people to vote on. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. No, that's, that's, uh, I think it's a very important message to, uh, to send to our listeners and to the public. Um, all right. So we've covered uh, this, this coming election and what's what's involved in it. Uh, now, I think uh, I think one of the one of the things that a lot that the general public or many people will say is, "I'm one person out of however many in the state." Or, or even my city or town, my vote isn't really going to matter. Um, so I'm not going to bother voting. I'm going to stay home and uh, uh, binge watch Netflix instead. Uh, why is that a bad mentality? Well, it just it. Uh, I think they're wrong. I think you know every vote counts whether it feels like it or not, especially the more local you get, the bigger impact that vote's going to have. If you live in a town of 10,000 people and only 4,000 vote, like those 4,000 votes count even more. Mm -hmm. um, especially in primaries too, where like turnout's really low, you can choose who like the two candidates are or three candidates if there's an independent running on the final ballot. And in those cases, election turnout for like primaries is like down to 25%. So like, that vote is four times more important in that sense. Right. Um, like recently in the last elections or last primaries in Virginia, there was a state representative race that came down to one vote. Like <laughs> that's a prime example of like how people's votes matter. If they had, if someone had managed to get like one more person to the poll, the margin would have been twice as big. I mean, obviously two votes is more than one, but like, that's what we're talking about. That's when things really matter. And right. I think, you know, as much fun as it is to sort of sit on the couch and watch Netflix mm -hmm. and it feels like your vote's not going to matter, especially if you're voting the other way in like a state where there's a lot of people voting theoretically against you, you still have to go out there and vote because if you don't, it's never going to shift. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I, this might be a, 
this might be a driver for some people, but I mean, like you said, sometimes it's 25% of the population of a, of a town or city that turns out for the primaries. So the initial voting, uh, so, I mean, just think of, you know, the people that are actually going are, are probably the most passionate voters and, you know, are, are excited to vote and, you know, want to make a difference. And just think about how many of those are the complete polar opposite of what you stand for. And you're basically giving them more power with their vote by staying, staying at home and, and not voting and not being involved. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you don't vote, everybody else's vote becomes a little stronger. Yeah, whether they're on your side or not. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. Well, maybe we can. So I wanna, I wanted to touch upon maybe some common misconceptions. Then I think it's a good segue uh, about voters um, and um, some things you maybe you wish they knew or wish they did. Yeah. Um, I would think, you know, specifically starting with voters, people, uh, the people who are winning or running in these elections definitely check the ballots afterwards and they will like see how many people turned up to vote. They'll see how many people actually voted for them. They'll see how many people voted against them and they'll see how many people just didn't vote. So sort of like blank that question Mm -hmm. and they'll look to see who all was run in. So like even even in cases where you like there's one person running so they don't, they don't have an opposition that person will still check to see how many people just blank them and that's sort of like a message too like if you only have the one person on the ballot and you choose not to vote for them they're going to check that and they're going to see that and they're going to be like oh like 20,000 people voted but only 11,000 of them voted for me like there's 9,000 people out there who just chose not to vote for me at all because they don't like me or didn't want to answer that question. And that's like a way of sending a message too. Yeah. And, you know, you get, I guess they factor, you know, people that just don't know about that candidate versus actually don't like that candidate, I guess. Um, And I'm sure there's, they have, um, they do some research into the, the the factors of you know well how what what the odds are that uh it's it's either or um yeah yeah i but, mean the the people who are running for office are always going to check the raw results of the ballots and they're always going to look and if they like realize that mickey mouse who more people <laughs> wrote in than like voted for them they're going to start to be like oh people are actually very unhappy with me and like to the point where they'd rather pick someone who's not even on the ballot. So like, I need to do better at my job or reconsider what my positions are. Like even in Mm -hmm. cases like that, where they're just running on a post, they're still looking at the ballots. They're not just taking this for granted. Right. Has Mickey Mouse ever won in an election? If Mickey Mouse wins an election, he's not a real person. So (laughs) they just give it to the runner up, unfortunately, which would be fun. There are a couple towns, though, that have elected like dogs and cats to like certain (laughs) city positions. I've seen that. Yeah. I mean, no one's going to tell Mayor Golden Retriever no, though. So (laughs) I mean, he's adorable. How can you say no to that face? Exactly. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Anything else on uh, the common misconceptions and voter 
knowledge? Well, I I wanted to ask, what's the most effective way for people to make a difference? Because uh, I know perhaps they uh, people might write letters to their mayor that they shouldn't, that the mayor can't do anything about, or you know, should we write to our senator or or call their office a hundred times till they answer? Or how does that? What's the best way for people to kind of make a difference? Well, there's so going to the misconception part of that. There's a lot of people who sort of. Uh, conflate all the government positions to the same thing. So they'll call the mayor on like trade issues with China or they'll call like, uh, I don't know, Senator Warren or like the federal senators on like potholes outside their house, like, sort of <laughs> things that aren't like are government related, but aren't necessarily their job or something they have real control over. And that often leads to like a lot of anger and confusion. Um, and there's not much those people can necessarily do about it. Like, Mayor Marty Walsh of Boston can certainly complain about trade policy, but there's, he doesn't have any control over it. So, like, calling his office to be like, you guys should really fix this. Like, we're getting swamped in steel, like, isn't going to fix that issue. So I think one of the common misconceptions is that, like, any government position has control and influence over all the things. And the truth is we don't. Um, so, like, making sure you're calling the right person is sometimes the best Thing you can do to have the most influence and then the other thing is to actually call them like i know at our work we like keep a call log and our boss checks it every day of like everyone who's called and what those issues are and like what have we done yeah. to try and help them and even if we can't help them we try and redirect them to the right person but that's like definitely the biggest thing that you can do if you want to have an influence on an issue is to call the right person in government, which is your elected official on that issue. And they will definitely pay attention whether you voted for them or not. Yeah. Uh, no, I think that's, that's uh, good to know. And that kind of helps me because I remember, uh, three, four years ago when I was still teaching, uh, I was teaching music and our, the music, the department head of, the of the town that I was in, the music department head uh, told us uh, there was this law that was going to be passed uh, regarding something regarding music, musical instruments, and I don't know. It was going to limit like how many students or how many students would have access to instruments, something like that. And you know, as a music teacher, it, it was pretty unanimous. Like we didn't want this to pass. I can't, I don't remember the specific details, but, um, and, you know, we got an email saying, uh, please, you know, do your part. If you can call this, uh, representative's office or the, this, this elected official, if you could call their office and just, just, uh, sp uh, speak your voice. Um, and, you know, we'll try to, you know, keep this bill from passing or whatever it was. Um, and so, you know, we, uh, I, I called and, uh, several other people called and you just kind of explain to them why, uh, why you feel a certain way. And they, like you said, they, they check the logs and, uh, you, you might sway their vote or sway their decision. You may not. I don't know. Uh, yeah. I mean, so like call is definitely like the most effective way to influence an elected official. If there's okay. like a hierarchy of, uh notes that we get from people like calls is always at the top and after that it's like handwritten letters or like written letters that are mailed in 
mm-hmm. and then it's like emails that people have written and then like below that is like the form letter so like a lot of groups will just like have a form letter sent to everyone and then they just like sort of sign their name on the bottom and send it back in uh-huh. and those are sort of below that because we know the people aren't a lot of times people aren't reading those they're just signing them and sending them in and yeah. then like the lowest form is the form email and this comes like a lot of like online petitions use the form email now where you just like put in your name and your email address and send those in. And a lot of times they don't even have people's addresses on them. So like when the person gets them, they can't even tell if they're from their district or if it's just some random person somewhere writing in. Right. And that sort of, that sort of reduces that value because they can't tell that these people are actually from their district. Okay. Oh, it could be anybody. Right. It could be anyone. So like the things they're going to want to know is like who you are, what's your position and that you're from their district. Cause if right. you, if you live here in Massachusetts and you call the Senator in Kansas to vote on something, he's going to be like, yeah, that's great. But like, you don't vote for me. You're not from Kansas. Why should I like <laughs> listen to you as opposed to listen to someone who's actually in Kansas. Right. Cause in essence, they're supposed to work for or represent their local people. Right. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. All right. Um, I mean, that covers a lot of what we wanted to uh, to talk about and get information on. Uh, is there anything you that we haven't touched upon that you think is important for uh, the public to uh, to to know or understand, especially right before uh, November sixth? Um, I think, and it's kind of too late now, but I think people should really consider like the importance of voting in primaries. Like primaries are sort of annoying as in like, they're not the real election before the final election. They're in like September or August usually. So like when people are still trying to have fun before school starts, but like those are like really important elections because they, those, those elections dictate who's on the final ballot that all of us get to vote on. Mm Mm-hmm. And they like narrow the field down. So like if you if you really want to have an impact, you should vote in the primary because less people vote there and they have like a huge impact on like what is on the final ballot. If there's 12 Republicans running for one seat, only one of them could be on the final ballot. So like those people are dividing that voter base by 12. And so your vote matters even more. So like okay. voting in primaries is really the most important thing, especially if you want to shift like the tone of government or like what the priorities are voting in the primary is actually often more effective in doing that than voting in the final election. Yeah, that's, no, that's good to know. Uh, I don't think I've ever voted in a primary, <laughs> uh, but I definitely would, I uh, know I should start and plan to, uh, the next opportunity I get. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. And I think that just falls into the, probably one of the, big messages of today is uh your vote does count yeah it is one vote but it's it's a vote and like you said it could change a whole election in virginia yeah Uh, (laughs) so it matters and it matters all across the board like i know when we vote for like state senator right or sorry federal senator like we get two for the whole state so like everyone voting on those two people so it feels like your vote's not that important because there's so many other people voting on an issue but like when you go you also get to vote on the local elections and those are things that are going to matter much much more that's going to affect like your schools and like your road and all of all of those local things that seem much more important the pothole outside your 
house is going to more likely get fixed by someone you vote for on the local election than anyone else. And that's the sort of thing you like people are really going to focus on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, that's, that's a great, great point, uh, to make. Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, it probably doesn't get as much publicity as it should, but, uh, definitely look into your local government, uh, and get, uh, I guess, read up on it, get to know who's involved and, uh, how, how you can make a difference there. Yeah. And I mean, you'll probably see these people in the grocery store. So if all else fails, that's, you yeah. there. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yep. Very cool. Uh, all right. Yeah. We've definitely seen uh, recently how local officials and all that stuff uh, affects people. Um, in Lawrence, the city where I grew up, there with all the gas there were a bunch of gas explosions and people didn't know what to do where to mm -hmm. go uh, and there was direct involvement from local elected officials uh, up to the governor himself uh being there so and that was all because people voted for them and those were the decision makers and uh if the wrong person were there like things could have gotten worse so yeah yeah i mean that that whole situation is just horrible i mean like what happened and how it happened but the local officials there have been really involved and really good like trying to make sure everyone gets taken care of yep. yeah definitely cool all right so thank you very much johannes no for, for joining you. us glad to right. we yeah, look forward so, to having you here again yeah absolutely and look forward uh to it. It, uh, so I think we should say that this was our first Skype interview on yes, the show. Yeah. So, uh, c congratulations on that. Oh, well, <laughs> and, thank you. I feel very proud to be the first one. And, uh, and, uh, in the next, uh, in the next episode, uh, you'll, we'll have you in studio. It sounds great. Look forward to it. Awesome. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. Go vote. All right. Bye. All right. All right. All right, guys. So that was our call with Johannes. Yep. Um, and how do you think that went, Jake? I think it was awesome. I think there was a lot of good information, hopefully not too much information at once. But the magic of podcasts is you can go back and listen to sections again. Yeah. Um, any, any final finishing thoughts? Um, I definitely don't vote or don't uh get enough uh or do enough research as or i don't do as much as i should mm -hmm. uh and just hearing that from uh somebody that's that works in the state house is involved and but is a just a, your uh, your typical citizen especially someone that's around our age uh talk about it that way and give you that kind of information definitely wants to get me more uh, uh, caught up on issues and candidates and uh, these kinds of topics, spe specifically on the local level and state level. Yeah. Um, one final thought I had is I've been watching this, uh, this BBC show mm -hmm. uh, by this like magician or performer called Darren Brown. Okay. And he did a stunt where he predicted live on TV the winning numbers for the lottery. Oh. And he, like, did it. Mm -hmm. And he used this concept called the wisdom of crowds. Mm -hmm. 
And it's he explains it on the show. I'll just summarize it because I can't remember exactly what it is. But it was like a long time ago. This guy had uh, uh, the weight of a cow uh, written down. Mm-hmm. And uh, he basically said, like, whoever can guess the weight of the cow, like, gets to keep the cow. Um, and I don't think anyone got it. Like, no one guessed it exactly what the mm-hmm. prize was. But he figured out that if he added everyone's guesses mm-hmm. and uh, if he added everyone's guesses and divided them got by the, the number of guesses, so he got the average, um, it was the exact weight of the cow, <laughs> which is kind of crazy. And he used this principle to guess the lottery winning numbers. He, I think he took 21 people mm-hmm. and he using a bunch of different techniques on like psychology and all this stuff, he got them to slowly through like uh, a couple different, they tried a couple times and each time they got closer and closer to the real number. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then on the night of the lottery, they like got the winning numbers. That's nuts. Yeah. And he, he like aired it live on TV and all this stuff. All I'm just saying all that because, I feel like in the over the 20th century and even before but there's this prevailing sort of weird psychology that you know people in crowds like just people are irrational and dumb a person oh, yeah. might be smart but people are like yeah whatever. a mob mentality yeah uh and there are obviously cases where that's like true I'm not saying this is definitive but I'm just trying to explain that there are are situations where when people put their mind together to do something, they can make a huge difference, like Mm -hmm. huge, huge, huge. So I'm just trying to use that example to say like, don't think that your individual vote doesn't count. Don't think that all these people are are Mm -hmm. dumb or whatever. Think of the idea that if we all vote together, then we'll be more accurately represented as a people Mm -hmm. than like if we just don't care. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah, we don't want a uh, state or a town full of uh, people that are just passive yeah. on everything. That's nothing gets done, and uh, everyone's just going to get upset about something. <laughs> but on, at that point, you have nothing to get upset about because you didn't do your part. Yeah. So yeah, you had a chance to say your say. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so I just want to give a big shout out to uh, Rewatchable. We've oh, been yeah. recording at Rewatchable uh, for probably a year now, or a couple yeah. at least. We've we're on our twelfth episode now, mm-hmm. uh, and Rewatchable's basically been the first place to 13th help us out. Episode, I think thirteenth. All yeah. right, lucky number thirteen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but. Uh, Check out rewatchable.com. They're a video marketing company, uh, and they've been gracious enough to let us host our show here. So mm-hmm. uh, if you have any video or marketing needs, uh, I think info at rewatchable.com or uh, just check out rewatchable.com. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Cool, Jake. That's all I got. That's all I got. We'll see you guys next time. All right. We're probably going to have some more great interviews for you. Yep. Planning on it. Take care. Bye.